Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets, interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. Welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. Happy summer after uh, Memorial Day. I guess we're officially into summer, kind of, right? Almost. Well, I know it doesn't start till the 22nd officially, but you would never know it's summer in Los Angeles because it's barely getting above 65 here. I don't know what the weather is this year in LA, but it has been crazy. Um, it used to be, I feel like when I moved here, it was like, oh, yeah, we have June gloom. And then, like, somewhere 10 years ago, oh, yeah, we have gray May. Like, now it's like two months of you only get sunshine after 1 p.m. And it's cool and collected. And now that I live even, I live closer to the beach, I mean, I'm really, I'm not getting anything. There's no sunscreen going on because there's nothing going on here. Um, but yes, I, uh, I'm enjoying the time off as much as I can, being worried, as most people are, with, you know, how long this is all going to go with the writer's strike. It's a good thing. I actually heard throughout the week that most likely it's going to be the Directors Guild, the DGA, settling their... Um, their, uh, you know, not, I don't want to say problems. I don't know why I want to go with the word problems. <laughs> Settling their demands or their their contract, uh, and then the actors who go out in July, and then and then they'll go to the writers, and that maybe seems to be how it's gonna go because the DGA did sign their they are going to sign their contract and came to a resolution with the producers. Um, it came out yesterday, so. Bravo to DGA. Um, I have not read any of the details of what they got, so that's interesting. But the statement they put out seemed pretty good, at least the one I read on Instagram. So bravo to them for getting it done and not striking. Um, And hopefully everybody in the DGA is happy with that. Can't please everyone, but let's move on to the writers. Um, I did finish up a couple other things on what's one up watching I didn't talk about last week because I thought I'd save it um especially because I have one of the executive producers of White House Plumbers on this episode Frank Rich so I thought I'd save that to talk about the end of White House Plumbers which was I think six episodes I could have done another three or four I swear 
But as I talk about with Frank, like there isn't enough story to keep it going. I, they wrapped it up really great and, you know, didn't overextend it. And as he talks about it, it is, you know, based on all, you know, facts. And it's just a crazy story of how Watergate and the break-ins all went down and of characters in history that aren't really written about that much, but had such a huge impact on this country's history. So um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the production design and the decorating and instead of my puppy. And um, so, um, yeah, we're going to get into White House Plumbers in a little bit with Frank. But what else did I finish? Oh, finish up Barry. Now, here's the thing with Barry. I was in it and then I was kind of out and then I got back in it. Um... I I think I had read that uh, Larry David had suggested that the series should have ended in like episode four when like they jump ahead in, in time. And I kind of agree. And then, um, but then we wouldn't have gotten that really good episode with all the sub characters. So then I disagree. And then, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to blow the ending here of Barry. So spoiler, if you want to jump forward about 20 seconds. Um when Barry gets killed, it should have ended there. It should have went black. The ending of then seeing his son, I don't know. As a viewer, I didn't need that. I mean, I don't know. That's just me. I hate to, you know, criticize. <laughs> but why not? Um, it's, uh, I think, overall, Barry is a good show. It's something different. It really showed you how um, Bill Hader can act, so that was great. And all of these other actors that got to be in it, I thought was fantastic and, and opening up to people who I was unfamiliar with in acting. And so I, I, as a series, I would, I would definitely say watch Barry. Uh, what else? I checked out Muppets Mayhem, which is on Disney+. Plus. Production designed by Denise Pizzini and set decoration by Don Dears and Jane Madden. Um, my boys loved it. And it's so creative. It's really, really fun. And, you know, if you grew up with Muppets, it's just a little, it's throwbacks. And, like, I just like seeing the design of it because I know that they have challenges with the heights of the puppeteers and dressing. And so... I thought it was it's something to check out design-wise. It's uh, really well done. So bravo to them. Um, now, we're, we're into this Emmy push here for people who are voting or people want to see, you know, what programs are trying to get uh, votes and be nominated. And um, a couple of year, like years ago, IFC used to put out, like, roundtable discussions of I believe nominated people or people who were trying to get nominated for actors and directors and writers um never production designers but um yeah I know pup never production designers and uh I loved it I loved watching an IFC and then somewhere along the line either I stopped uh not timing it right to watch it or they stopped doing it or I can't even find IFC at this point. I don't even know if I have it. But The Hollywood Reporter also does a roundtable, and you can watch it online on The Hollywood Reporter slash, like, roundtables. And they did a roundtable with lead actors with Kieran Culkin from Secession, Pedro Pascal from Mandalorian, and 
the the last of us jeff bridges from the old man evan peterson from dahmer michael imperoli from the white lotus and danson damson idris from snowfall which i love snowfall and then i gave up but um very interesting round table with them to me the funniest part is all of these actors who are funny and it's a good it's a good little show hearing about their process and everything but you have jeff bridges at the table whose career is by far uh out of their league <laughs> anyone at that table so to me watching the interaction of these other oh. actors try, yeah i know trying to you know talk to jeff bridges or then relate they'll, they'll go on their own riff about acting something and then they're like oh yeah jeff Brid oh yeah like you did that first or that's how you prepared so it's funny and it's interesting and i just realized which i didn't watch because i was I think it just came out. They just put up their um, comedy actor roundtable with Jason Siegel, John Maloney, Mo Amber, Stephen Yen, and Tyler James Williams. So I'll check that out. I'll let you know how that is because guess what? We have another episode tomorrow. <laughs> two for this week. You're getting two one-ups this week. Lucky dogs that you are. So... On this episode, I am so excited, and you have no idea. I, when I first started this podcast, I have a list of uh, wish list of guests, and Frank Rich was on it. And I have had an email uh, in draft asking him uh, to come on the podcast, and never had the um, the balls to to send it to him because he's a real writer, and he's a real like he's a per he's real. And, um, I know that he's a super nice guy. I never thought like he's not going to answer me or turn me. I don't know. I never thought like it would, you know, go badly. I'm just not up to his standards. That's how I feel. <laughs> um, I worked with Frank Rich on Veep. He was an executive producer and consulting on the show and was a doll and so nice, approachable, and um, very complimentary to all the hard work of the departments and creatives. And he was always just a really nice guy. And, and I remember being like, knowing who Frank Rich was, and I don't, I don't know where along the lines I knew of him, but maybe it's an East Coast thing where you just learn people and, and, and everything. So I just knew of him. Um, so it was always uh, a pleasure to have been able to interact with him on Veep. So I speak with the Frank Rich on this episode. Rich is a renowned American writer who has made an indebitable mark in both the theatrical and political spheres. He has been celebrated a theater critic for the New York Times where he covered Broadway productions with witty reviews that landed to his nickname as the Butcher of Broadway, which I forgot, I didn't ask him about that. I'm, I don't even know if he likes that. I don't know. I probably shouldn't have brought that up, but it's part of his, it's part of his career. I mean, I don't know. I would like it. I would like, you know, fear and love. Um, he then made a pivot in his career and turned to contributing to the New York Times and the New York Magazine and as a political writer, offering insightful commentary on the intersection of politics and culture. He 
has a book that he wrote, The Greatest Story Ever Sold, The Decline and Fall of Truth from 9-11, about the Bush administration's actions and reactions to the 9-11 tragedy. And I read this book, and um, not that I wanted to talk to him about it, but I just tried to absorb everything Frank Rich for the last month that I knew that I would be talking to him. So I've read, uh, there's some great articles too, I think in New York Magazine about his whole career and and uh, that are recent. So if you really want to read up on him, please uh, check those out. He, as if that wasn't enough, he then turned to executive producing and consulting in TV and film. His projects include the documentaries Becoming Mike Nichols and Six by Sodenheim, which are great documentaries about Broadway and filmmaking. It's a, like a sit down with Mike Nichols talking about um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Graduate. I wish it went on and on for other of his projects, but um, just, you know, having Mike Nichols talk about Mike Nichols is fantastic. Um, and then, you know, he has a gig at HBO consulting for shows like Secession, White House Plumbers, Veep, and more. Um, he just has such an amazing versatility and creative vision to be able to contribute to these shows. And it was an absolute pleasure to speak with him and, and even catch up a little, like telling him about the twins, because the last time I physically saw him uh, was at the rap party. And uh, I didn't have a big belly, but before that, I had a big belly <laughs> working every day um, at the end of Veep. So he's so generous to give me this time um, and his busy schedule, just getting done promoting the finale of Secession. Um, he is currently working on The Regime, which stars Kate Winslet and is coming out later this year on HBO. Again, I, sound, I, I actually don't think I blew this interview. A lot of times I'll tell you that um, I sound like a total dork, and um, I usually do. But I think I did okay here. I think I was um, not as nervous as I thought I would because he makes you comfortable. He's so nice. So I hope you enjoy. I'm wondering in the last couple years with all of your awesome uh, projects that you've had and and I'm assuming flying back and forth with secession to countries and everything like with COVID, that must have been awesome and awful, right? Yeah, well, you know, I have to say when we, um, there's been a lot of travel and um, when succession resumed in the middle of covid uh which was in the in our third season we started you know months and months late it was one of the weirdest and i, and I hope never to be repeated experiences i've ever had because we're shooting in new york we couldn't travel a lot of our scenes took place um in hotels that often were standing in for other places so we had these weeks of being in these ghost hotels the, the plaza the St. Regis, uh, uh, the Pierre, the um, Marriott Marquis in Times Square, the Sheraton on 7th Avenue, the Four Seasons downtown, the Palace. And so we're in these unoccupied, often dusty hotels where there's really like a couple of security guards and then our crew. And of course, tremendous amount of distancing, social distancing, yeah. lots of uh, uh, not just masking, but vents, 
constant testing. And, and as you know, and um, from your own life in this business, it's very strange to do scenes where you really, it's very hard to talk to cast. It's very hard yeah. to talk to your colleagues. Forget about small talk. Just, you know, the only conversation you really have is like move that prop over there right. or, you know, take that exit instead. So it was, it was a, a bit depressing, but the cast was heroic. We didn't have any um, big issues. And then amazingly, and then as people watch Succession know, season three ended up in, in Italy. Right. And we never, we thought we would not be allowed uh, to go to Italy. It was a decision obviously not, could not be made by us, it had to be made by the corporation and the guilds. And at the very last minute, we got permission to go. Oh, wow. And so we, we prepped it on a dime, ran over there. We had, um, our, you know, a big chunk of our crew and an Italian crew that had just done that. Was it Lady Gaga movie about Gotti or whatever? I didn't see it, but oh, anyway, just oh, done a feature. Gucci. Gucci, Gucci. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, I'm confusing Italian American <laughs> yeah. characters in Italy. Anyway, and, and, um, it was incredible. And we anecdotally, we knew that much of the Italian crew had not been vaccinated. By this point, we had been at least right. once. Um, but we we never had a positive test. We wow. couldn't believe it. Wow. And, and we shot for six weeks. And it was an amazing thing because Italy, which had had, a, as I recall, a, a very tough beginning in the, co in, yeah. the, in the pandemic, at this point had bounced back. Everything was open, but no one was there. So, for instance, actors on a weekend who had never been to Venice, we didn't shoot in Venice, could go to Venice at the height of June and July oh, and wow. have it empty. And yet all the museums and everything were open. We had Siena to ourselves. Oh, we had wow. Milan to ourselves. Everyone was very glad to see Americans and American credit cards. Right. <laughs> and it was, and it, and it was, it was an amazing uh, uh, magical experience. It was the bookend to a, a grim beginning, and you know we were still masked and obviously being tested every day. But it was the strangest experience. And then we'd wrap, you know, late at night in Tuscany, and I'd be in a car in a dusty hill road, road, you know, roads through dusty hills, heading back to where I was staying. And on Q tape, which I actually explained to the civilians, yeah. is this new, relatively new. Um, app which allows you to watch what's going on in a show that's being shot in monitors in real time yeah. I, I could well, in the middle of the night in Rose to Suscany look at Dave Mandel directing a scene <laughs> in upstate New York in White House Plumbers which had then just begun production right so anyway and then you know we got we got past it that's incredible and and probably an experience you'll never get again on a good on a good side on a like oh, yes having yeah, that the, to yourself the <laughs> yeah i'd love to never have a covid lockdown no. again and it was very hard in new york and we actually an actor of ours uh died in the early stages before we were shooting in the very early weeks of covid uh and um actor named mark blum who played the the head of the cruise ships division who gives oh, tom wow the poison chalice of a laptop with all the horrible information <laughs> on it in season yeah. one. And, and it was at the hearings for Congress and was going to come back in season three. And 
It's one of those people that had no treatment and he just got it. He was in the late fifties, horrible, died. Oh, that's horrible. And 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 um but uh the the the, the great part of Italy was uh, you know, I'd love to have that again, but but I'll never be there again without American tourists in warm months. I mean, right. literally no one there weren't even any Germans, it was us. <laughs> <laughs> and so hot. It's so hot in the. It's so muggy and hot and like in those summer oh, months. <laughs> it was very. It was very hot. Uh, very hot. But it was kind of heavenly. I'll never forget it. And the stuff we made, I'm really proud of. So. Oh gosh, yes. I mean, I was thinking of um, when I watched these shows, and I know that you're a part of. And then with White House Plumbers with Dave, I just think of that interaction around the monitor and the and the, yep. the that like let's try this or you you know people coming up with things and it's so it's such magic <laughs> like and it is. I, a- I i'm sure it was like that on those shows too i mean I, yeah yeah, yeah and, and yes absolutely and so to have that have obstacles put in the way for a period of time was tough. And by the way, some of what, starting with Jesse Armstrong, who wrote an episode, what well, one episode of the, uh, in the, when Armando Iannucci was still running it. Mm. I first met Jesse, he wrote the last episode of season one where Selena cries, met him in Baltimore. Between him, uh, Georgia Pritchett, T- Tony Roach, and Ted, Ted Cohen, we had four Veep writers. Oh, yeah on succession so the dna of that interchange and that comedy writer thing um was very similar to what you you know in some ways similar to what you saw in beat you know in some ways it's to me it's so similar because i really have to watch each episode twice because you miss because on veep you're laughing out loud and you miss like what the next character said and which is such a gem too but with secession, it's like, wait, what did he just call him? And what are that? What does that mean? Like, I yeah, the writing is it's, so phenomenal. The writing's phenomenal, but it's very dense yeah. in the in the in the in the literary sense, I guess. But yes, and the insults you can never get enough of the insults. <laughs> yeah. um, and I sometimes, and we have a lot of alts, just like we did in Veep. And I keep thinking of that the scene in Veep. I can't remember what scene's name of it where. Uh, uh, Jonah is called before Congress, and and the guy and the congressman reads out all the insults yeah. oh, of Jonah. Many of them written by like people like Tony Roach, who 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 uh, wrote on Succession. So and probably uh, half of them were edited out. That was so. Many. Oh, of course, yeah. the stuff the stuff we didn't use. I, there's one line uh, in this in the. I hope we're not worrying about spoilers, right? We assume people. Are no, um, no, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's on them. Um, and then it's not a big spoiler of that, but we're at at at, at the very end. There was David Rashi was also in the V. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, was, uh, is playing Carl on Succession. And he's talking to Frank, uh, played by Peter Friedman, and he says, "So we've gone talking about going from Logan to Tom, the Cor- Waystar Corporations. So we've gone from Logan Roy." To a slice of Wonder Bread with a face drawn on it. Yeah. <laughs> and there were, 
many more that I just love that never make it in, but that's part of the fun of it too and, and, and the adventure of it. And such a thick skin for the actors too. I always felt so bad for Timothy, who was like the nicest guy. <laughs> I, I know, people don't, <laughs> some people understand, but not everyone understands. Yeah, Tim Simon is like the loveliest person yeah. in the world. He's almost like saintly. Yeah. And people don't understand. Uh, uh, and by the way, I, in that same category, I'd put uh, Matthew McFadden, who plays Tom, who is about the loveliest, oh. even keeled person and an incredible pro. And, you know, and he's and, and, like Nick Braun, who plays Cousin Greg, they're frequently the target of the most savage insults, and they're nothing like those characters, of course. Would you start? I read how you were involved from the very beginning of Secession. And um, is that in the development stage, is that like broad strokes with you and Jesse? Is it looking at like character development and who these people should be? Well, in the case of Succession, what happened, and it may be not atypical, but what, what it's kind of like what happened with Veep too. So what happened was, Jesse had this idea. I brought it to HBO. HBO decided uh, to um, buy a pilot. And Jesse fairly quickly wrote a pilot. And then, of course, it went through the usual process of me giving notes, uh, uh, um, HBO giving notes, Adam McKay was directing the pilot, giving notes, uh, and so it, but it was pretty well along because we were off to the races to shoot it. I mean, and keep in mind, Jesse had a sort of a history with HBO, including a drama series that he and I right. had spent over two years developing that the almost money? made it but didn't. The money? It was called The Imperialists. Oh, The Imperialists. The Money was another show oh. that actually shot a pilot that I did with David Milch. But oh. we did something called The Imperialists that was, never went to pilot, still like to do. It was great. It's a great piece of writing by Jesse. So, um, then of course we were picked. So we made the pilot, uh, but very little been planned past that. For instance, a lot of things we did on the fly. This is true of Veep too. And, and keep in mind that, uh, um, Jesse as a protege began his career with Armando Iannucci who created Veep. Uh, you know, suddenly Selena's in office, out of office, you know, the last minute, um, for instance, it was not a it was not a done deal that Logan would not be killed off at the end of the pilot. Mm. He does have that stroke, right? And it was discussed for a for a bit before, and then we just made it and see what happened. And of course, Brian's performance is so you know such a life force. Yeah. Thought, you know we can't we can't live without it. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> let's but, not let him go but, just yet. <laughs> yeah, but then but then there was a writers' room. And then it was a pause because we had to write a whole season, right? And so the, the room had to be staffed. Jesse had done the pilot all by himself. Wow. It had to be staffed. And then it started up in London. And um, I would drop in and out um, to help brainstorm, to be a sounding board, to just listen in. It's an incredible experience, as it was being in Dave's writing, writer's room in the beat, a little further away. It was in, in London because that's where Jesse lives. And then, you know, it's the way it works is you're not writing in the writer's room. It's, it's I'm telling you Kim, stuff you already know, but for those who don't, there are whiteboards all over this, like, conference room, and it's a grid with each episode number and each character, 
horizontal and vertical. What is Marsha doing here? What you know? What is Tom doing here? What is Roman doing here? And you know, constantly debating it and doing different variations and gaming out different possibilities until finally, after several months, you have to get going. And then the scripts are assigned yeah. and writers assign different drafts. So, and then there's more and more drafts, more and more people weighing in. The director will weigh in of an episode, obviously, and very much again like me rewriting goes on on the day all the time and keeps going on and drafts keep being generated and the cast keeps complaining as they did on the people the scripts are coming in too late we can't learn them in time well i was very, complaining very too <laughs> yeah of and so is the person yeah. in your role yeah. so is the, and, and so yes that absolutely all all the people in charge of the look of the show the props the production design costumes but, you know locations you know really complicated but somehow we always pulled out our ass and got it done you know somehow we did it and um and it's part of the it's a little bit of a a a relay race and but it's also a lot of creative fusion and fun conversation and hard work yeah i i do think, and I've been on a couple hard shows since. <laughs> I uh-huh. I still think that Veep was so hard because it's half hour and we shot an hour basically. We shot oh, so much, but the thing with Veep that I felt was we are all in it together, and you knew like we were working the weekends. We knew like the actors are rehearsing over the weekend. The writers are like. It just felt like we're all in this together. No one's skating through this at all. And mm-hmm. everyone just wanted it to be the best it could possibly be. And I'm sure there's exper- more experiences like that. I haven't had it yet, but. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm very lucky because that was the experience of succession. It was very oh, comparable to that. Yeah. And, and we also overshot like crazy. I mean, we, you know, we, we overshot. We, I mean, we shot many more pages than we should have. Yeah. It, it was it was really like the mirror image of people in a lot of ways. I had the same conversations with HBO. Jesse would have the same conversations with HBO that Dave had with HBO, and then Armando had with HBO. And um, but everyone felt in it together. It was a really, as was the case with the lovely group of people, um, yeah. and. Um, just heart and soul you know, in there. It's, <laughs> it's heart, heart and soul. You know, and it was seven years. We worked on this for yeah. seven years, with COVID being part of that, but we were together for seven years. So, did you, did who, when did it become clear that it was going to be Tom? <laughs> well, Jesse, um, I think what Jesse would say, uh, has said is, he pretty much always knew that the end of the show would be uh, the dissolution of the business. Mm. So in essence, none of yeah. them would get it. Right. Um, I think the Tom idea started entering his head in season three. And there, at one point in the rooms when of season three, there was a conversation of, uh, of ending the season three. You know, most... Oh. HBO would have taken as many seasons within a reason that we wanted, you know, we're very happy with the show. I think for obvious reasons. Uh, but Jesse is very, very conscious of 
He's a very good writer. He's very conscious of not wanting to repeat himself and of bringing the story to a natural end. And as he has said in interviews, too, if you call a show succession, at some point you've got to deliver right. a succession. <laughs> right. And so in season three in the room, you started saying, it seriously, it was seriously debated among us or talked about, or discussed among, among us of the virtues of maybe killing him off, uh, killing Logan off then. Jesse was always um, adamant or committed to two points. One is the season where Logan died would be the last season. Whatever season that was, that would be the last season. We'll have to resolve it after that. We also said whatever season it is, Logan has to die in the third or fourth episode because he wants the rest of the season to have the runway to figure out what happens yeah. to these kids when the sun is sort of pulled out of their solar system. Which is brilliant. I mean, because we want to see it, that. It, we want to see those reactions. We want to see what actually happens to them. I agree. But, you know, the regular sort of way to do it is just to have everyone yeah. in the deathbed yeah. in the final episode. And um, uh, and so he tweets seriously with with it in season three, but ultimately well before we started the real writing phase, decided one more season and maybe two more seasons. He didn't rule out season five, but at some point in season four deliberations, after we started shooting the early episodes, he had decided this was it. HBO was happy to let him and did let him play Hamlet about it and keep options open until we put out the poster, the key art, uh, and started promoting the new season because um, uh, HBO wanted to promote it as the final season, mm. if it were the final season. Right. So that affected the key art. But the cast was not told definitively until the table read of the 10th episode of the last season. Wow. And while some of them, they were never misled, and many were expecting it, some were genuinely sort of in denial about it and kind of shocked. It was a very teary event. But um, the part about Tom... It was definitely in his head the past couple of years, but I don't know. To him, I don't know if it was such a big deal to Jesse. And part of it is because Tom's victory is such a hollow victory. Yeah, he's a he's just a a beard for Matson, and Matson could get rid of him in three months. Yeah, and put who he wants. It was just to get through the deal, and so it's and and you know he just wanted someone who'd be. A, in Jesse's term, a pain sponge, and do the dirty work for the consolidation, but he could last as short as, say, some executives have lasted at uh, uh, <laughs> HBO so under AT and T ownership, for right. instance. And so, and so, um, uh, so I don't think it was the most important thing he was deciding. The big decision was none of the three kids are going to get it. Right. Which, when you see that and you you know this ending, that's the best ending. I mean, I don't. I I feel like the show wrapped it up perfectly, and and those final scenes of those characters are, yep, that's it. They're living in their own hell. Like that's that's the way. There was never going to be a happy yeah. ending here for these people. Exactly, and um, yeah, yeah. Really, I'm really in awe of Jesse. He he knows what to reveal, what not to reveal, what to say and not to say. There's been a lot of discussion you know, and sort of social media and criticism and reviews, why didn't we say who won the election? 
And well, what is Jesse, it? Jesse, and Jesse's point he had two points. First of all, he felt as a as a Brit, he didn't want to be the person to decide the state right. of American democracy. <laughs> but I think the more important point is to me, it's brilliant to leave it unresolved because if you think it through, if we said Mencken won, it becomes very melodramatic. It means, you know, the, the, the dictator, the fascist, the quasi-fascist has won, and we're delivering this devastating verdict on America when no one, speaking as someone who's been a political journalist, still is to some extent, anyone who follows this knows, we, no one knows what's going to happen in 2024. No one knows what's going to happen in this country. It's very much in flux. It's the most dangerous period of my lifetime. And no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow, you know. So then if we had said Mencken lost, then we look like we're kind of sentimental and Pollyannish. Oh, democracy is saved. You know, truth wins out. Right. So there was no reason to do it. And to, and to leave that with the audience, his, Jesse's respect for the audience is huge. Let them think about it. Let them think what's best. Let them think about what's going to happen with Tom and Shane's marriage. Let it play. Oh, yeah. Let it play in your head. Uh, what is uh, Kendall's future? What is Roman's future? Um, it gives it a greater life to me. Yeah. To say, for him to say, this really is the end of the story I wanted to tell. And now it's in the hands of the audience. And it, and, and it fills up an imagined space in your head as a viewer and i think makes the show more alive and makes you also want to look at it again to pick up threads that you may have didn't notice the first time not just dialogue but whole threads and because yeah. it's all in there you you know you take the way he used for instance the drowning of that cater waiter in season one and the way it surfaces uh uh the denial of it <laughs> the, the denial of it the psychotic denial of it um yeah. And, you know, that's a, a lot of moving pieces. And this guy really had a sense of how to um, manipulate them and make them work over time. I really enjoyed how HBO gave that, like, five-minute interviews at the end with the director and Jesse and and helping kind of explain things just a little deeper for everyone who wanted just a little bit more every week. I've... I've I love them. I, and they did it with The Last of Us, too. I thought it was great. Yeah, they've done it. I think they did it with Game of Thrones. They've done it with a lot of dramas. I felt these were exceptionally good. Um, Jesse, Jesse is self-conscious about giving interviews and self-conscious about appearing on camera. But he was relaxed enough this season to get into it uh, when we did them. And there's really value added. And people who have not yes. watched them, you're in for a treat. They're yeah. short. They're like four to six minutes yeah, long. Yeah, they're great. But and, and the last one where he basically gives his slight theory, not much to it, but a little bit about what's going to happen to the kids yeah. after the show ends is, is gives you more to think about. Yeah. Without yeah. being definitive. They're they're great. They're They're just little bits for you to like hold on to at the end like fast forwarding through the credits to get to them but i also loved yeah. in the um the funeral episode how they talked about you know they didn't have much time in the location and that made uh the director mark Malloyd is it Malloyd? mark my lot my mark my lot my lot yeah um you know, change how they shot it and because they didn't have much time and knowing that that was kind of a wonder ish 
is unbelievable to me. No, it's no, it is. It's amazing, yeah, because the the, the funeral is held in a very, very prominent, high society Catholic church. Is the way to describe it in Manhattan. That's a very big institution. It's like a city block, you know, in Park Avenue in the East 80s. And so we didn't have, you know, it wasn't like some diner that we could sit in right. indefinitely. And, um, uh, but Mark, a uh, very resourceful shooter among his other talents and very, and very good at uh, also without getting, making himself or anyone crazy, very good at managing very complicated, large shoots. He did, he, he did in his career a number of Game of Thrones episodes, mm-hmm. for instance. He, he um, you know, you think of the stuff that he did in Italy with the wedding. Oh, my God. And, 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 and in fact, in Wales, in the Cotswolds, the, the wedding at the end of season one, the ship's wedding. Um, it's it's uh, very lucky. Remarkable. He's a remarkable talent. Yeah. No, I I love seeing his aspect too of the shooting and and talking about when they get the call and letting it just roll through there and knowing how that affects the set for me is like okay wow they went yeah they walked all the way through there like the 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 church all had to be dressed there's no angles you can't see like things like that is always key for me of like of course and he, I love that as a I know as a great professional and as someone who solves those problems so brilliantly in your own art. It, it is amazing. And by the way, one of the things in the it's amazing to us that, that Logan's death did not get out. It's yeah. amazing to us. Seriously. And particularly because, because Brian, by his own account, I'm terrible at keeping secrets. You know? <laughs> yeah, he couldn't wait. Um, but to, but, but uh, he, he, uh, he's a fantastic guy and, 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 and we'll talk to anyone about anything. So two things that happened, that, there's three things at that funeral, or two things that are of interest. Um, in terms of one involves a prop and one turns keeps it. First of all, we have all these extras there. Yeah, we made a fake funeral program with the picture of uh, Jamie Cromwell, who plays Logan's brother Ewan, as if it were his funeral. Oh, so they... those were given out. Oh, that was good uh, to people. And then also, we uh, Brian's wife uh, Nicole Ansari is an actress. <laughs> we cast her. In that episode of Sally Ann, a former mistress of Logan, oh, who's there no with Marsha and <laughs> Carrie. And, uh, that you know, was great. As, that, that scene is that, great. Overt, and, it, and it ensured that Brian would show, would show up on set. So how, so if any passersby saw this funeral, it must be, it's Logan's, oh no, there's Brian Cox walking in and out of right. the church. If he were right. dead, he wouldn't be part of the funeral scene. Oh, that's fantastic. That scene, I mean, the, that the four women should get a spinoff or something. <laughs> it's like... What I got to tell you, you know, Harriet Walter, they're all great. Harriet Walter, who uh, uh, plays a lady Caroline, a British actress, as a drama critic in a previous life, I first reviewed her playing Shakespearean ingenues for the Royal Shakespeare Company in the 1980s. Oh, wow. She is this brilliant brilliant actor and that what she does with that character and you know he he abbas who plays marsha is amazing and then zoe winters who plays carrie she was somebody who was in earlier seasons but no one knows her she basically had no line she was just a 
an aide to Logan walking around looking at her phone the whole time. And maybe if she had a line, it was like, uh, he's in that office. That's about the biggest line she <laughs> right. might have had. In the fall of 19, before the pandemic, a few months before the pandemic, she starred in an incredible play off Broadway called Heroes of the Fourth Turning. It was a runner up for the Pulitzer Prize, called was a uh, sort of a sensation. And I went to see it and I said, God almighty, this young actress, she's in our cast. We've long talked about giving Logan a younger mistress who might possibly get pregnant. We hadn't figured it out. I said, she's right there on set. And she, of course, was brilliant. Wow. And, yeah. uh, and, and the author and the author of that uh, uh, play that she was in, a very young playwright in Will Arbery, I then brought in to join the writer's room. He wrote one of the episodes this season. Oh, my gosh. See that now? Don't do you miss being a theater critic? Do you miss that? No. Oh God, no. <laughs> I, I, I first of all, I stopped doing it thirty years. Yeah. Ago. I know. <laughs> I, and, and 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 it's so much more fun to actually make the stuff than write oh, about. Oh well, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I I I'm using what I learned not so much from that job when I was a teenager growing up in Washington D.C. and. Broadway shows, they hardly any do it anymore. It's too expensive. In those days, every Broadway show did a tryout, usually in two or three cities in the East Coast. And a, a group of cities included New Haven, Boston, Philadelphia, and Washington. And I, I was a theater nut. I haunted uh, the theater so much about so many standing room tickets that the manager took pity on me and gave me a job as a ticket taker. And as a consequence, and because my parents were so lackadaisical when i was in junior high school high school i would go downtown washington to the national theater and watch you know neil simon put in new scenes in a play or yeah. with mike nichols or watch jerome robbins put in a new dance number in a musical in a heyday of broadway everything i learned from that watching professionals even though i didn't understand all of it fix things or try to improve things that's what paid off in this job and it's also what taught me that when I most of what I needed to be a theater critic. But it even paid off more here because I sort of watched people fix things and learn how it might work. Oh, maybe this scene slows up the action, you know, in a more mm -hmm. primitive way. Or maybe you know, I remember seeing I remember seeing a uh, a play that was written by um Carl Reiner trying out. And there was it was a comedy and there was a line in it, I don't even remember what the setup was, the, the line was um, she doesn't care. She's retired to Miami now. And it's supposed to get a big laugh in context. It never did. And the last week of the run before coming to Broadway, he changed it to, um, she doesn't care. She's retired to Acapulco now. And I brought down the house. It didn't change the meaning of the line, but somehow the K sound triggered a laugh. So you'd learn even minutia like that. And all that stuff would come in handy for me in this work. Oh, yeah. The dialogue and, and the inflection and, and when you move on it and when you, you mm -hmm. know, when you're, you know, mm -hmm. they, when the actors know to like give a reaction or, you know, take a pause. It's it's when it works all together. It's it's fantastic. it's really it's really it's exciting. And sometimes it doesn't work and you try again. <laughs> um, I 
must say that probably in the last month I've read everything about you and <laughs> everything I've seen. Right, everything. that's terrible. <laughs> I read I your book. I read. I read your book. I read. Uh, well, the I read the um, biggest then... biggest lie I ever sold. Oh, the... Yeah. Right? Oh, oh, the, the biggest... Bush book. Yeah. Yes, I read that. Um, which I do audio books, so I'm always because I'm, I'm always driving. Oh, wow. I do. That's all right. I do is audio books. I, I never it. do them because I live in New York and don't own a yeah. car, so I'm never driving. You know, so and, anyway, go on, yeah. And then funny that before that, I I read I listened to the David Milch book, which he, which he wrote just on the onset of his Alzheimer's, which has affected me so much because I just love his work yeah. and hearing the the oh. guy who's audio who's uh, narrating it sounds just like him, so it's so wow. heartbreaking. It's God, so. I, wonder, I I only worked with him a, a while. And, one you know the one project the one project the money yeah. when we made the pilot i loved it and of course an enormous fan of it yeah um i think though are you geared towards more political things like is i mean because of your political you know writing it's a good, and... good question but i'd say not necessarily people come to me with those right <laughs> but i am i i am I, I'm game for anything. I really am, you know, and, and, um, there's certain things, certainly things I'd love to work on that aren't political and shows that I admire that aren't political. And I feel a little wary of political things. I think it has to be really brilliant or it gets very old very fast. And satire is saying, go to Israel closes on Saturday night. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm, because I'd spent so much time writing about politics, reading about politics, I grew up in Washington, D.C. Parents were not in politics, but I was surrounded by politics. Um, I'm happy not to have it in my life every minute, particularly now when it's so poisonous. And so I, I like stuff that is smart and funny, but, but I've also, it doesn't have to be aha comedy, which neither, uh, uh, there are moments like that in succession of White House plumbers, but but that's not their intent for the most part or their tone. So I'm game for anything. I like to keep learning new things. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I love working with writers. You know, I'm, I have no interest. I'm a prose writer. I have no interest in writing scripts myself, but I love working with writers and helping them develop scripts and batting around things. And, um, uh, and I'm interested in any subject they're interested in. I it's another like party going on with like Mendel and then Peter and Alex and like, it's like yes. another V party going on there. But I mean, those two guys, I, the thing about white house plumbers as a viewer is like, you're learning this history. I think that, I mean, <laughs> Liddy, I don't know. I, Justin Thoreau was like phenomenal and so weird. I, I don't even I, get it. I don't even get that. That's a real person. <laughs> In some ways, he's not a real person, yeah. or as Logan would say, not a serious person. No. But Justin, Dave, is such a part of his collaboration with Dave, too. Justin really rolled the. I mean, Liddy was insane. He only died shortly. He died while we were in post. You know. Yeah. Um, but he, but he, was, he, was a, he was a true believer, and he was a lunatic <laughs> and, a, and a clown, although a, a potentially dangerous clown. Um, and Justin, who who has a comic gene and has written comedy as a writer, 
but you don't think of it doing of doing flat out comic performance on that big a scale and it's very hard to do and he brought it off brilliantly and i think for many people including me and it seems you and i think dave too it's a revelation oh yeah the whole other side to him and and um uh and it's really hard to do that over the span of uh, five episodes of the uh, series. Yeah, I was bummed it was only five episodes, but I, you know, <laughs> I'll take it. Well, I was... <laughs> yeah, but when I like it, you saying, well, will it be a second season? I said, before we went on the air, I said, spoiler alert. No. No, it still ends with Nixon resigning. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. <laughs> but, um, uh, I was uh, trying to think, like, I don't even know. I guess I was taught that Nixon resigned. But all of these things, uh, like, you know, All the President's Men or, you know, other films, I feel like that's how you get educated sometimes on events. And I had no idea. I mean, I knew that they had tried before to break in, but then they broke in. like, And then who the people actually were and how they got involved. And then, uh, like, Hunt's wife dying, like... It was very informative as a series for history. Well, I think so. You know, I was a witness to it. I was I, I wasn't yet really in a journalistic career, but I was about to be. It all happened around the time I got out of college, um, more or less. Uh, and, and of course, being from DC, I followed it and followed the Washington Post. And in fact, Carl Bernstein, Woodward Bernstein, was sort of a family friend of my family. Um, so I, I watched the Dita Beard thing, but no one, first of all, I'm older. Many people didn't live through it. Secondly, what we did was very different from an all the president's men, for instance, because we showed very little of the mucky mucks in the White House. John Mitchell, very minor character. We never show Holdeman and Ehrlichman, who were the really right. above John Dean. John Dean, John Dean worked for these scoundrels. Um, we showed very little of Nixon. We didn't show Agnew, we didn't show Pat Nixon, we didn't show Martha Mitchell. We wanted, we, part of the mission was to show these guys who were schnooks, Aunt Letty, who were the foot soldiers, who thought, who thought they were saving the world. They thought right. they were saving the world from communism. They thought they were saving America from George McGovern and the Democrats. Uh, and the fact is, they were duped. They were dupes. They were. They, they should have been. They were stupid too. They should have realized what was going on, but they really were the, the fall guys, and yeah. and they got some of the worst punishment. Where a lot of people on the top got less punishment or got away in the case of Nixon altogether. And 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 they thought they were saving America. Instead, they bring down a president to their incompetence. Uh, and they, a president who was riding high, one of the points of the show is Nixon had no need to do this. He was going to win in a landslide right. over McGovern. Right. You know, if he'd been caught naked on, you know, the top of the Washington Monument, he was, that was going to happen. Um, but they willed themselves into thinking they were doing something vainglorious. And then when they start to be left holding the bag for it and being the scapegoats, they don't quite realize what's happening to them. And it has, and they're sort of, they're not really tragic figures because they did break the law and do terrible things and their values were kind of shoddy in the political ideology in the case of Lily in particular, very mm. dubious. Yeah. Uh, I'm a sometime Hitler fan and he was. <laughs> um, but but uh, you have to have a little sympathy for them because 
they were left holding the bag. And what it did to their families was for the most part tragic, including Dorothy Hunt, who was herself an accomplished CIA agent and had a career. That's in all the president's men and all the, when I was like in the seventies, one of the networks had a, a mini series about Watergate called behind closed doors. There's, you know, uh, the Oliver Stone movie. Every, everything's yeah. dealt with. Uh, the, these guys are forgotten, but they, but they're a big part of the story. Their families hardly noticed, and the Cuban um, exiles yeah. that were that that Hunt hired because of the experience with them in the ill-fated uh, Bay of Pigs fiasco had never been dramatized at all, and so. It's really a whole, there'd been no reason to do it unless there was another way to weigh in. And, and that's what we tried. And, uh, and so even people who are familiar with the Water, Watergate history before we made our show are learning new things. Yeah. And I, who knew tons about it and written about it, I didn't write about it at the time, but written about it in the past and other articles and so on. I didn't know there'd been all those previous break-ins that failed before the one that, where they got caught. So it's so there's a lot of fresh research and a really fresh angle and then a sort of fresh tone because I, I describe it as a as a comic tragedy because yeah. it, or a farcical tragedy because there's elements and farce and to some extent um, tragedy for these these guys and particularly their wives and their children. Well, yeah, I I in fact started to look up like what happened to Hunt's son. Like the guy just took him to Florida. Like they just. It was like that. It's all very, it's all very sad. It you all, know, it's very... I felt like I was like, oh, this all of a sudden got very real <laughs> when you start affecting these children and everything and Liddy going to jail and his wife and everything. And I was like, God, this is, this is turning. And I had to Google people because I was like, I don't, I need to know what happens. You know, no, it's, 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 and there's a lot of good stuff written about, about Watergate. There's a, a new history that came out basically after we were wrapped, uh, uh, Watergate, by a, a young historian, journalist named Gerald Graf. The, the, the original book of all the presidents, man, and they, and Woodward and Bernstein wrote a sequel called The Final Days, which is when it's the end is near and the whole thing is collapsing. They're great reads, I gotta say. Yeah. Um, and of course, all the presidents, man, the movie remains, which was written by William Goldman. Screenplay it was terrific and a classic, but you can go down to the rabbit hole and find all sorts of interesting stuff. The weird thing is, it 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 it, it looks almost like a Boy Scout prank compared to Trump, but that's okay. not. Or one is tempted to say it because it wasn't as that as crazy as some of the. It wasn't it wasn't as crazy as January six. You know, it wasn't yeah. that really trying to stop an election. I mean results on election but it did lay the groundwork for the, what the republican party has come and and as trump has repeatedly pointed out particularly during his first campaign nixon was a fan of trump nixon they had a brief correspondent nixon saw something in trump but nixon you know compared to trump is like you know, charles de gaulle or something or winston churchill because he actually had policies he actually, yeah, did, he actually he did some bad, terrible things. He opened up China, though. You know, he he created the National Endowment for the Arts. He did a few good things. Yeah, um, he was and, a real and, president. And, he was in there for public service, and like you know, 
Yes, he was. And he, by the way, is a genuinely tragic figure. I've read a lot about him. And I, I, uh, my shelf behind me, I probably have more books about Nixon than any other president. <laughs> um, because people forget this about him. He, he was really the poorest modern president. He really came from nothing, Southern yeah. California. And he would, you know, drive other boys with their girls on dates in high school to make money. I mean, the poor, oh you know, uh, and it's just an incredible career. And, and, and in 1968, when he first um, won, having lost to Kennedy in 60, the person who changed his image was a very young TV producer, Roger Ailes, who'd go on the big Fox News. And there's a great book about uh, Ailes and Nixon let in a reporter named Joe McGinnis, who later no longer alive, later become a famous journalist, to do a book that's really worth reading called The Selling of the President in 1968. Oh, and it's like, you know, Roger Ailes sounding very much like the Roger Ailes of the horrible Fox News to come. But this is, you know, 50 years ago saying, Thing, things like we've got to convince the American public that Nixon does not come home and is hung on a hook, still in his suit every night to go to sleep, <laughs> or that he doesn't carry a briefcase everywhere he goes with reading material. You know, anyway. But don't, it's a great story. Don't I mean even even in in your book and and in you know in the eighties and everything, it's the same names, <laughs> like all it's the same names for so long. Oh, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, my first introduction to Jesse Armstrong, the creator and showrunner of Succession, was when I started doing some informal work for HBO 15 years ago. They had two scripts, feature scripts, that they had optioned or bought but never made. One of them was about Rupert Murdoch. It was very, very different from Succession. It was very much, you know, it was Murdoch as Murdoch with the family he had at that time, mm. set in New York, very different, but, you know, it was the beginning of his interest in the subject. And the other, which I couldn't believe was written by a Brit, was called Atwater, and it was about Lee Atwater, who was this legendary pol Southern political operative who basically got George Bush the first elected, and he's the one that came up with the very racist Willie Horton campaign where they made... Michael Dukakis, the Democratic nominee, looked as if he was enabling black prisoners to escape and rape white women. It was a disgusting, ugly thing. Jesse's script about Atwater, besides being incredibly knowledgeable, was someone who is British, lives in London, was, and it was written 15 years ago, was sort of a capsule history of the rise of right-wing republicanism up to that time. So, for instance, Karl Rove, in that script is a 25 year old oh, wow. head of the young republican oh wow you know you see all these people and it is a long story and it begins begins with barry goldwater and, and and nixon and there's a straight through line through reagan the bushes and uh, uh into trump oh my god and it's, it's it's like when you watch vice or like you look into that history of cheney and everything being there for so long and working in the white house it's it's crazy i so i did impeachment uh after or like 2 years ago now so right. i also dug deep into like clinton and <laughs> all of that oh yeah uh, that i had to cover as a journalist that well, that was ridiculous. I mean, that in retrospect. Well, yeah, that was insane. Being 
at the time I was in college and I didn't really get the Monica thing. Like I got it, but I was like, wow. But now I'm, I'm, I've met her and I'm, I'm, I'm 40, I'm 46 years old. And I cannot believe that, that, that he did that to her. Like it was so sad. And also the the press killed her. He behaved badly. The the press was terrible to her. I met her too. I interviewed her after it was all over for the times. And she's a very smart, impressive, poised person who was very young and was just, you know, chewed up and spit out by everybody. And it's amazing that she has survived and become this, uh, 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 hold on a second here. Sorry about that. Yeah. I guess I can't stop. Anyway, it's incredible that she survived and has gone on to be, you know, someone who taken up causes for good, tried to make the world a better place, tried to be an example of, 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 uh, kind of of being a, a moral compass for people. Um, She's very impressive, and the whole thing is just... Yeah. But then the way the Republicans, all of whom were philandering, you know, Newt Gingrich, but the, the um, grandstanding, that, all of it was ugly, yeah. ugly. It's, it's, it's sort of, it's... And then we go into Bush, and then we go, you know, we, at least we got some clear skies during Obama a little bit, but I mean... Yeah, I know. There's still uh, such and, deals and, uh, going down. Yeah, it's been a tough... Tough period for this country. Yeah. Um, let me ask you something fun. Do you have anything right now that you're watching that you are like, wow, everyone should watch this besides secession? <laughs> and you White know, House Bombers? It's 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 a very good question. And I and I'm gonna disappoint you by not really having an answer. I think because between succession ramping up, White House plumbers ramping up and being still in production because the writing was done before the strike deadline on another limited series. Yeah, you're busy. I have, I have, I have not been watching a lot of TV. I, this is the first week, you know, and I've still been, as witness us talking, still been in the sort of succession, yeah, you know, promotional world, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I really, I'm, there's, I have a whole list of things uh, I want to watch and, and and catch up on, but I really wanted to clean my um, palate. I have a palate cleanser, so I've been reading a little fiction that has nothing to do with mm. television, oh, nice. just novels, and I've been watching uh, old movies on the Criterion Channel. Oh, like nice. this week, watching some British Hitchcock movies that are up there now. Looking, at, and I haven't looked at in years, like Thirty Nine Steps. Oh yeah, and and, and the Lady Vanishes. And then I'm going to start, there's so much I want to watch. Along the way, I saw bits and pieces of things I like, like Station Eleven, Severance, you know, um, yes. Lasso to some extent. Um, uh, I, you know, I love uh, uh, Barry and somebody uh, somewhere, um, but I'm behind on that. I'm behind on them this season. And I, I got it. But there, there's a, there are a lot of good shows out yeah. there. Somebody Somewhere is so good. And I know that Rachel it's so good. Rachel Exler works on there. I had to reach out to her because to, I saw her name and I was like, oh, I I love the show. I love it. I do too. It was just it was just picked up for a new season oh, of online today. Oh yeah. good. It's yeah. great. It's great. And uh it's great. But there's just so much great stuff. And there's things like I 
I want to watch Happy Valley again. I love the earlier seasons of the British, you know, pop thriller, whatever you want to call it. Um, There's so much I want to see. I love Lucy Preble, um, uh, uh, a writer on Succession and playwright. Uh, I hate Susie. I want to see the new season of that. You know, so anyway, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to watch. And as the strike continues, there's a lot of time to watch it. I know. That's the problem is that there's so much good stuff. (laughs) There's so much. There's so I much... know, but you know, better that than the you know, it's, it's not all green acres. You know yeah. What I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, we're not um, all on network. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, uh, there's really a lot of good stuff. Well, I hope you have a good summer. I hope you get to. I mean, it's the writer strike. I don't know. I'm have. I'm gonna have a I'm, good I'm, summer. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have a good summer. So help me God, my God, me God, you. It's all about travel. I really traveled a lot, and there was a period where I was back and forth between uh, Studio City, where Dave was cutting uh, plumbers, to uh, uh, Barbados for the final episode of Succession, to London and Vienna, where the show The Regime I'm doing is shooting. I know, I can't wait for that. And I'm excited about it. Uh, um, And I really need a break. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you do. I want to see my kids and my little grandchildren yeah. uh, and I'll travel to them or they'll travel here, whatever as the case may be. And otherwise, and I have to go back one, one more time to wrap the regime, the mm-hmm. new show, but um, in a week or so, but then I'm going to have a nice lazy summer, watch Good. TV. Yeah. You know, I, you know, what's nice. It's kind of like in the pandemic or like this writer strike, like there's no pressure to try to find a job. <laughs> nothing's going yes, on. Yes, you can't do it. See, I can't yeah. meet with writers. I can't. Yeah. And so I feel for everyone out of work keenly. It's very yeah. hard. It's... Um, so I'm in a, you know, when I, when I say that I'm glad to have some time off, I don't take lightly that a lot of people I know need jobs and can't work. Yeah, but no, I feel it's... I so strongly believe in the writer's position on the strike yes. that I'm glad that even at considerable cost, I think it's heroic that they're holding firm. Yeah, and they have to, and and history has shown that. Like they had to strike to get health care, they had to strike to get you know residuals. It's always been. It always comes down to this. It so... always does, and um, uh, one one of. One of the big lead negotiators for the Writers Guild is a, uh, a writer named Chris Kaiser that I've just gotten to know in the past couple of years. A wonderful guy. He he is one of the key, like co-showrunner of this terrific uh, Julia Child series. Julia, oh, Julia, I love it. Oh my god, I love it. And and you know he is such a great advocate for his guild, and you know I feel they're in good hands. I feel mm. right. I'm not in the WGA producer, mm. but I feel. What they're doing is fantastic. I just so, hope it trickles um, down to me someday. <laughs> I, hope I hope so too. But uh, well, it's great, great to talk with yes. you, Kim. You oh, know, I, 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 I hope we'll so do much. it on set sometime soon too, when this strike finally ends. I'd love oh it. yeah, don't worry. I keep I I stay in Dave's ear to always remember to hire me. <laughs> oh, we we tried to we we were too late. We tried. You know, we had a moment. Okay, yes, I sounded like a total dork there, and um, but it was great. Wasn't that great? I mean, I can't stop. I smiled <laughs> from ear to ear the whole time I talked to him. 
Um, I might have a crush on him, but he, the, the just creativity and um, I don't know. I just love his work, and I, I love that he's a nice person, and um, I am so happy that I got to uh, work on a show that he worked on, <laughs> and um, I just love talking with him too. I, I, I you know, you, you get, you start to talk about your work and then uh, others' work, and and just the appreciation of all of our work. Uh, coming together to make great series and it's um it's 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 nice to chat with them so i hope you enjoyed that uh tomorrow yeah tomorrow not next week tomorrow production designer erin mcgill and i talk about her work on the amazon limited series dead ringers which we'll get into it a little hard to watch for me because of the twin thing but uh visually really great really great check that out um if you haven't so um i hope you got an earful i am kim wanna for decorating pages save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.